So now to Alia. Early uh, 30s she is. She's born in 1980, which does seem so young to me. Um, and, you know, it is so young. Uh, she works on a freelance kind of basis at the Arc uh, Gallery in Jogjakarta. She started that in 2008. She's really, from my perspective, Indonesia's foremost curator. Um, because she's young, it's quite a young grassroots community there, and she's very much part of the artistic community in the real sense. She eats with the artists, she can... She, uh, you know, goes to their houses and their studios. She knows their families. It's not just a, I'm the curator in the museum, come and see me kind of um, approach. And all the uh, Indonesian artists, but especially those of her generation, uh, absolutely adore her. I looked into her CV uh, because of what she's doing for them, not because of her pretty face, and that might come into it, but because of what she is doing for them. Uh, she's had some amazing grants, and I had to look up some of these things. She got a grant uh, from the Asian Cultural Council, and I had to look that up uh, earlier, and it's a, quite interesting. It, it's a grant-giving institutional cultural body. It was founded in 1963 by the Rockefeller family, and uh, it was specifically geared towards connecting America with Asian cultural programs. Uh, talented individuals in, a in Asia. It then went into another phase uh, in 1980 uh, and became known as the Asian Cultural Council. It had a slightly different name before. And they give about 100 grants annually. Uh, and the alumni now, um, uh, you know, the total uh, comes to something like 6,000 cultural leaders. So 6,000 people have got these grants and have... Uh, been given the grants because they're so talented in its 50-year history. And then uh, there was something else that I had to look up. I, I'll come to it in a, a minute. Um, she's also got a grant from the Asia Europe Foundation. Uh, she's done some quite major curatorial shows, the Jogja Biennale in 2011, not long ago. And in 2013, just last year, um, Indonesia in the Biennales, which we saw, ties up with one particular region, which I think is quite un unusual and quite interesting. So the one we saw was Indonesia, a Biennale, and the Arab region. Coming up, uh, there's Indonesia and Nigeria, hence Okwi and Weasel. Uh, they had a lot to talk about because he's originally from Nigeria. And she was also co-artistic director. I have to say there were six of them in total. Mami Kataoka, Carol uh, Yinghua Lu, is, those are the two I know, and Alia Swastika, and there were three others at the Guangzhou Biennale in 2012, which I didn't see. And she also curated in 2012, two years ago, a special section on Indonesia at Art Dubai. She curated a show on seven Indonesian artists in Singapore in 2010. She's done a lot of writing and research. Um, she's her English is, you know, amazingly fluent. And uh, she did something for the Kwan Du Biennale in Taipei. And Jasmine Stevens, who's here this evening uh, and is the curator of our next show um, on Pinnery, the Thai artist, uh, Collection Plus show, uh, which means that uh, Jasmine's chosen a work from our collection. We only have one work, so it wasn't a, a big, heavy job. And uh, then she chose from other collections anywhere in the world a work by Pinnery. Jasmine's also working with the Kwandu Biennale, am I right, Jasmine, in Taipei at the university. And then finally, and I'll hand over to Alia now, she was a research fellow. No, she still is. Is that right, Ali? You're still at the Singapore International Foundation. It was. It's finished now. A research fellow at the Singapore International Foundation. And I had to look that up as well. And what the Google tell, told me is it's two decades old. It's focused on Asia. So there are all these foundations out there. Singapore, but it's not just about art. It's medical issues, autistic children, AIDS, uh, artists in residencies and so on. So Alia's here. Um, 
under our auspices, but together with the Australia Council. She wanted to come before the 9th of June because she wanted to see the Sydney Biennale. So we sort of had a deadline. And uh, I've heard her speak uh, to the Tate group, the uh, Tate uh, Asian Art Acquisitions Committee group, as I say, there were about 12, and she gave a most wonderful talk on Indonesian art. So I think contemporary, so I think you're in for a big treat. Yeah, she is. Good evening. Thank you very much, Jeans, for the very nice and full of compliments introductions. <laughs> and thank you very much for the support to bring me here in Sydney. Sydney is always one of my favorite cities in the world. It's so beautiful and I really like the dynamics of the big city here. So it's quite different. Usually the Indonesian people, they like Melbourne more than the Sydney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So yeah, uh, actually I'm very happy to see some very familiar face here, Julie, Christine, Simon, and yeah. <laughs> so actually I, what I prepare here in my talk is maybe something that for some people that uh, I mentioned before is something quite uh, familiar because you've been following the development of Indonesian art for quite some time, so yeah, like Junie, Julie and Jean maybe also, like they know Dadang Kristanto better than me, I think. <laughs> and also uh, Julie had presented uh, the very earliest generation of Indonesian artists internationally since the beginning in the 1990s. So uh, I think I should apologize if like my presentation is a bit too boring for you. <laughs> so it's just also, yeah. <laughs> so I will, do a little bit more like introduction about what is happening now in, in the art scene of Indonesia, maybe a little bit different from what I present in front of the TED uh, committee, because when I present in the TED committee, it's really about like more uh, in, uh, Jogja art scene, because mostly, most of the time, they came for five days and spent like four, okay. four days in Yogyakarta. Okay. So it's really like something quite different from what is happening in Jakarta or in Bandung. So I'll start it with, yeah. So what I want to present here is about Indonesian art after 1998, because we uh, already knew that uh, 1998 is very important uh, political shift for us in Indonesia and also how it really affects the situation in the art scene in Indonesia. And now is we are celebrating like the 16 years of this event and which is like very important also this year because uh, we are facing the next presidential election. Yeah. So I will start the presentation to show you these works by John Petkus Widananto that has been mentioned by Jean also. So John Petkus Widananto, uh, together with Ekonugroho two years ago, he presented quite a big uh, exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria in NGV. So this is like the newest project by him that uh, we've done very early this year. So we opened this show in January. So it's called Words and Possible Movement. So I think it's very interesting that this work somehow reflect what is happening after 16 years of reformation. So he put up all the flags, like hundreds of flags there, and he put the silk screen of each march, you know, like the identity song for each group, social group, how you got Lagu Mars, you know, march song. Uh, Marsing Mar sound. No, it's like, how you say? Uh, like in Indonesia, every social group, they have their own uh, anthem. anthem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he put up all the very different anthem songs for different groups, like uh, maybe based on religions, like organizations based on religions, or based on like military or political organizations. And actually, many of these flags are reflecting also the parody of, uh, usually the way they make the anthem, they do like kind of parody from the formal national song. 
So he put up all that to show like the after the 1998, we had so many of the independent non-partisan organizations, but also all the organization within under the political party. And then he put up also 10 unused, like the very old uh, motorbikes. Motorbike is very important uh, vehicles in Indonesia. Like in Yogyakarta, it's just like everybody. We have millions of motorbikes and it's kind of because it's a student city. So usually people use this as part of campaign. So during the political campaign, I want to show you like this, yeah. So this is how we do the political campaigns, like hundreds of them riding motorbikes around the city and they modified a bit from the canal pot. What is like the, from the sound? Canal pot? Uh, exhaust, yeah. So it's really become so noisy. And we have this kind of thing, yeah, every five years. Like they're really going around very noisy and they're uh, singing all the anthem from their... Are these different political parties? Yeah. Parties? Yeah, parties. They, every, parties. every parties, they do it. Like uh, they have the schedule. For example, now we have uh, 16 parties, political parties. So every day maybe we have three groups <laughs> going around the city for the whole day. So this been like happening, uh, especially after 1992. So Jompet somehow uh, making a parody and like to represent again these situations. But what is interesting for me actually, uh, this whole exhibition is very quiet. So you've got the image of this very noisy campaign with the motorbikes and all the flags and people singing, but the way he presents is just uh, without sound. This is unusual also for him because he's been knowing also as uh, someone who's working so much with the uh, music instruments, like usually he used drums or he used uh, piano, like all sound installation. So, this part is, for me, is really different from he has been done before, which is very quiet, but at the same time, it gives us like a space to reflect actually what is happening. And his long-going project about uh, this is actually, it's called After the Voice. So he wants to criticize the situation in Indonesia uh, after we have all the freedom of expression, which is in the time of Suharto, the freedom of like we don't really have voice. So everything is a bit repressed. So the way he wants to reflect this then become after the voice is quiet. Like even though everybody, like now it's very easy to in Indonesia that, to express something which is a little bit, uh, there is the too, too, a bit too much, like everybody can say whatever they want and there is no censorship anymore, so <laughs> like everybody like have too much voice in the end, become too noisy. Yeah. <laughs> so this is, yeah, so it's called Words and Possible Movement. So you can see in above the motorbikes, you saw some of the, you, you see some of the clapping hands, so it's moving with the kinetic machines, like it's all clapping, but also no sound. So this is what I want to uh, present in the next uh, slide. This is how we are, as an artist, uh, developing after the, after the voice. So yeah, my big question that is, it's been my ongoing research after 1998 is like, uh, so I start to do my curatorial practice around 2002-2003. It started when I working in when I work in Chemati Art House, which is the most important uh, independent art space in Indonesia. So I worked there for five years, and when I came there, the situation is quite changing because uh, they used to work with all the very political. Uh, artists like Harry Dono, as mentioned by Jean, and also they work with Muliono, for example, and of course Mela Jarsma and Nindicio and STDD, which is uh, always somehow echoing the 
the hidden political message because at that time it's quite impossible to put it up in the mass media, in the newspaper. So most of these artists become like the quite a political, the representation of political voice during that time. So when I work in the art world, I face the new generation of artists and like this old generation also in the transition era because all the issues that they've been doing before it become quite not so relevant anymore. So my ongoing research is really talking about what is the meaning of being political today? How do you define of being political as an artist from like the generation who was born in the 50s, 60s, and then to compare with the generation who was born like maybe uh, after 80s as my generation and after the 1990s. So I think so this we can read because I think most of you, you're quite familiar with the situation in Indonesia. So I put up like here the Lekra. This is like at that time, uh, the role of the artist represented usually by how they become part of one political organization. And then at the same time as in the 70s, as we know, is also uh, the time when we had what is called as Gerakan Seni Rupa Baru, which is very important in the aesthetical turn of Indonesian contemporary art. And then this is the situation when uh, the generation of like Heridono, Dadang Cristanto, and Muliono grew up with all the very strict and strong censorship from the regime. And many of them, for example, Muliono, they become part directly become part of the movement. Like they're working with the grassroots people like the farmers, laborers, and be, uh, becoming like the founding fathers of non-governmental non organizations. So this is like, uh, sorry for the quality of the image. For example, this work is from Agus Wage. Uh, he made this almost in the end of uh, Suharto era. So this work was created in 1996. Like, uh, the, he made like a, a room, like 10, full of this silk screen, expressing the diary or the visual image of many people who has been kidnapped during Suharto. So many from the activists, and then he put all the books and this is also the start when he when he has like his self portrait inside the is inside the library. Uh, for the this is self screen. So along yeah. the he he made the room and the wall is actually made of the fabric with all this yeah. screen. Yeah, yes. And then inside he put this uh, library. Mm -hmm. So this is like the cupboards full of the bookshelves. Yeah and then inside. So this is like one of his most political works, I think also, with all the uh, testimony from the kidnapped activists. And then this is also the works by Agung Kurniawan. Uh, this one of the most like iconic works during that time, created in 1997, which at, the, uh, at that time, the Suharto regime celebrated their 30 years of uh, they're yeah, be, becoming the president. So the title of this work is uh, to celebrate the 30 years of the Holy Family. So you can see that he represents the idea of government into family because everything in during the Suharto era is always connected with his family. So the idea of the government become domestified somehow into the area of uh, politics, which is now still happened that the son-in-law of Suharto becoming one of the candidates for the president. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the situation after 1998, which I think there are many changes that is uh, influenced the, the way of working by younger artists, which is they feel like it's not relevant anymore to talk about politics in terms of the government. So the idea of politics with P capital is 
for them becoming quite uh, faded because they feel like there is no reason for them to to talk about politics because everything you can find in the mass media. So some of them choose to engage with international political discourse, directing their response to the universal events and ideas, like they talk about globalism or they talk about postmodernism, consumerism, and so many different issues, which is actually also happen in uh, other part of the world. And then this is a bit too long, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, so like in short that many of the younger generation of artists, they work with uh, the image of uh, popular culture, which is in Jogja, it's become one of the most important sorts. Like the younger generation of artists, they work with comics. I want to show, uh, for example, one of the most iconic is from Ekonugroho, which he started uh, becoming quite famous also before the Suharto era. But also at the same time, we can see still the criticism to the government. And more and more now, he become very critical to the government again. <laughs> and he made also some wayang performance. This is the Shadow Puppets project that he did. So he created a new version, the contemporary version of uh, Shadow Puppets using all his characters and changing the narratives of many, from the original source, sometimes still from the Ramayana or in Mahabharata, but he really changed the whole situation into contemporary uh, society. This is, we did in 2010, and this project actually is still going on up until now, so he collaborated with many like script writers, or he collaborated with the puppet, masters and the musicians, and sometimes they go around the village in Jogja, like when, or even in Jakarta, and many of the project is done in the village where they have like disaster. So for example, during the volcano eruption, so he went to the refugee camps and playing this, uh, this shadow puppets like uh, to be it's part of the you know like entertainment like or to to engage with the the, the refugees there. Uh, I'm going here. So the other thing is also the idea of politics becoming more personal. So many of the artists trying to uh, to see the possibility of working with a personal issue, which is. In the end, they talk more about common people. So this is the project done by uh, Meslima Anam. Meslima Anam is quite important collective in Jogja, uh, established in 1999. So they are really focusing on the photography. You remember, Jean, we came to the very small house, or you left, or no? It was very cluttered with lots of things. It yeah, it's like very small, like maybe uh, they ran the space in the middle of Kampung, in the middle of the, all the village, all it boys. In the middle of the field and the boys ran. Yeah, yeah, they're all yeah, boys, yeah, 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 yeah. Hardly yeah. Anything, but is that disconnected? Uh, yeah, this is yeah, from their work. So. Uh -huh. Uh, aside of having alternative space, and they also work as collect artist collective, mm -hmm. yeah. And this is one of the project that they they did in 2004. So they invited uh, people in their surroundings in the neighborhood, and they asked them if they want to go to holiday where they want to go. Like usually, they don't really have the opportunity to go holiday because in Indonesia, going for holiday is quite expensive. So most of them, they just go around the city for holiday. So like this is uh, the couple uh, live around the space and then they want to go to Jakarta. This is actually the Luna Park in Jakarta. It's called Dunia Fantasy, the world of fantasy. So what they did is actually they they took photograph of this couple, and then they took photograph of the Luna Park, and then they put up their 
So it's kind of they want to realize their dreams and they give them like the big print of the photograph to be put in their house as if they went to the <laughs> to the Luna Park already. So they met like, so this is also in Jakarta. This is the family. They went to go to the Taman Mini Indonesia Indah. This is the complex uh, established by the first lady Suharto that she really wants to collect all the, together the traditional, not traditional, the all the ethnic cultural things from all over the provincials in Indonesia in one place. So it's like um, the miniature of Indonesia. So it's really also part of the iconic uh, tourist destination in Jakarta. So they did quite a lot of that. And also they went to Jakarta and asked them if the people in Jakarta want to go holiday in Jogja, where they want to go. So there are many different, like Borobudur, of course, and then the bird markets. And then, so they realize all these dreams of the people. So more and more projects like this happening after the 1998. There is also the works by, this is S-House Collective also. This is a new project. So during the Jogja Biennale, we also host what's so-called as parallel event. So it's an open call initiative. So people being encouraged to make a collective. So they have to work interdisciplinary and making exhibition at the same time with the Biennale. And we help them with the promotion and everything. So this is, uh, and then it's a competition. So this is the winner of that competition that now become quite established collective. It's called S-House. So during the Biennale in 2011, which I curated, they make a project up to trace the popular culture of uh, the influence of Indian popular culture in Indonesia. So they collected all the magazine, like you can see in the right photos. Uh, that are all the magazine published in India and how it, they were pub, uh, distributed in Indonesia in around 80s. Nowadays, we didn't really find any more like all these things. So in the 80s, the popular culture from India was quite, quite big in Indonesia, which I, I never also experienced this thing. You were and, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so in the first photo, for example, they install like uh, records of all the songs, like popular Indian songs that been played in the radio at that time. So it was also the generation where people come and call the radio station and ask for a song to be played. So this is also the thing that we don't have it anymore today. So kind of they, uh, they try to, to retrace all the memory of the generation who was born around 50s, 70s to, to the in, uh, Indian popular culture. So more and more the artists working with the basis of seeing how the personal memory can be used as the, like, as the source to see what is happening in Indonesia during that time. Yeah, and then, so this is part of that exhibition. So this one is quite interesting where they invited the aerobic structure. Uh, so the aerobic kind of, she, she make a new choreographer of aerobic style, but with an Indian Bollywood uh, gesture, Indian Bollywood move, body movement. And then in the background, all the artists, they put the uh, films from the Bollywood style. So it's quite fun that every week they invited people to dance with them <laughs> with a new, new way of aerobic. So, and then another example of using like personal interest or uh, more, more issues from the popular culture is artists from Bandung, Tomarama. This work is presented in, during the APT, the Asia Pacific Triennale in 2012. Yeah, so this is actually commissioned by the Gallery of Modern Art in Brisbane. So it's everyone is everybody, where they 
uh, create like video about how the people in Indonesia like to consume the very expensive brands. But actually, sometimes they never really know if it's original or fake. And when it's the fake one, actually, it all they are all produced in Bandung where they live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes they went like all uh, spending so much money, millions, and then they found oh this is actually from Bandung. Yeah. <laughs> so they work with like kind of uh, how you call photo motion. So they created like thousands of photographs and then make it as uh, video. This is also part of that. So they compose also the song. The song is quite interesting and very, uh, how you say, very joyful. This is very different from the images that you see from the artist who was born in the 50s, 60s, 50s, usually very dark, very bitter. And the younger generation of artists now, uh, they tend to, to do it like more fun. For them, it's like, so it's kind of uh, the idea of politics is changing, also becoming something that uh, it's more practical. It's not about the situation between the government and the citizenship anymore, but it's also about what is happening in the everyday life of the people. Mm-hmm. And for them, it's like the statement is like, politics is fun. Yeah, but of course this is also different. Like the generation of Tromarama was born man, was mostly they they are mem, uh, there are three members of this group. Most of them was born like 1988, so very very young. Also like almost one decade after me. But the way they see the political situation also already very different from my generation. Which I think I can relate more to the generation of Eko or Jompet, which is when I grew up that, like, I remember 1998 when, when the reformation happened, I just graduated from the high school. So I was there also with all the other students. We were joining the students' movement in Yogyakarta where the king also lit lead the students to, to, to against Suharto and ask Suharto to, to, give the, to give back the power. And this generation, they don't have this kind of image anymore. And they, there are many things in the history has been manipulated. Many, sto- many narrative of many story in the history, they don't really relate. For example, what is happening in the 65, which is very important in the work of Dadang Cristanto and F. E. Carsono, for example, like the younger generation, they had no idea what was happening at that time. So there are so many hidden things that is not really. And I think, in a way, they need to. They don't really want to use that uh, issue. For example, they know more now about what was happening in '65, but they didn't really want to use it in a very direct way to make it to make the works their works to be political so it's kind of they want to put a bit of distance also with all this happening so i think that is the first or actually i uh, i prepare also another presentation now look, it's or uh, maybe yeah. We need. Um, if we stand up for a minute, uh-huh. we need to. What we usually do is have uh, an hour in total, including questions. But um, how long is the other presentation? No, I just maybe want to talk a little bit about the Biennale. If do you in, think it's in in Jogja or in Jogja? Yeah. Look, I I think it might be. Well, do it, but what do you guys feel? <laughs> Ten minutes. Yeah. Not too long. Yeah, no, it's very short one. A, yeah. A, a discussion out there. So keep going. Yeah. So this is like long presentation also that uh, I presented this during the World Biennial Forum in Guangzhou 2012 also. So the, the other thing that I want to present here is about the Biennales in Indonesia, which is actually really part of the response towards what is, happen, what is happening now in the politics situations and also 
to respond the new interest of the global world towards the Indonesian art. So we can like now we almost every time we are called as emerging market or the new scene to be looked at, the dynamics of Indonesian things. So actually we really want to be part of the international scene and most of the time it's very rare that we, we have opportunity to have like big show of international artists in Indonesia because there are so many limitations in terms of the custom and then the shipping is very expensive and there is no support from the government to bring. So most of the international artists that we are dealing with brought by, for example, organization like Asia Link, if it's Australia or Guta Institute, uh, working with the German uh, artists and Erasmus House, for example, from the Holland. So actually, this is also the Biennale now becoming part of our will uh, to be part of the international art scene. But when we started this, so the Biennale was established in 1988. So it's been running for 20 years and most of the time, always local. Local means not only local in terms of Indonesia, but most of the time only about Jogja, the artist from, who lives in Jogja. So uh, after the big Biennale in 2010, uh, many artists and cultural activists, they tried to establish what's so-called as Jogja Biennale. And it's become independent organization. So I work also with these organizations uh, it is quite interesting for me to present this in a special way because uh, the idea of internationalism looks very interesting, but at the same time for us, we cannot afford, we don't really have the resource to do international biennale, like what is happening in Sydney, for example, it's impossible for us to do it. So we want to make something small, uh, not so many, it's not a big blockbuster exhibition, not like 70 artists or 100, 200 artists. So we try to do it like less than 50 artists every time. And the most interesting is the idea of what is international now. Uh, so the board of the Biennale came with the idea of Equator. So we call the Biennale in Jogja as Biennale Equator. And the idea is every year, as mentioned by Jean before, uh, we will invite one country partner to work with us, and all these country partners actually should be in the Equator circle. Like, so we have the very strict limitation, it is below 23 degree and above 23 degree of the Equator lines. Yeah. <laughs> so like, the first time of the Biennale that I did is with India, so we had only 45 artists, 25 from Indonesia and 20 from India, which I, the first time when we did, it's quite interesting because many of our uh, cultural heritage really connecting Indonesia with India in the past, like, like maybe thousand or hundred years ago. But after the new order era, we realized that there is no more like relationship like, culturally between India and Indonesia. Most of them is coming from the popular culture, as we discussed before, but there is no real connection in contemporary art. So it's quite interesting for me to, to see the reaction from artists in India that it was their first project in Indonesia. Even many of them, it was their first uh, encounter with Southeast Asia. So it's quite interesting when they all came to Indonesia, they said, wow, oh, everywhere, I go in Jogja, I feel like I'm home, yeah, <laughs> because it's everywhere. It's inf the, the influence of India is really big. And then the next one, uh, 2013, 13, we work with uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates. So at that time, we, we think about, oh, if we want to go to Middle East, we want to do it with Iran 
because I think the contemporary art, the scene is very interesting and so many good artists there. And then we realized on the map, it's farther above of the 23. <laughs> so we have to, okay, we cannot. <laughs> yeah. So in the end, we found that, oh, the most, uh, actually the most covered area by, in the Equator is the Saudi Arabia. But um, I think it's very difficult to do it with Saudi Arabia even when we, we, when we try to send artists to go there, like at that time, Tisna Sanjaya supposed to go to Saudi Arabia for a residency program, but in the end, we didn't get the visa because there is no cultural visa to go there. They have only the visa for Hajj, <laughs> and he has been doing that, actually. <laughs> so it's quite interesting that every, and our, every time when we encounter the new territory, we learn so much about the the culture in a very delicate and very deeper way. It's very different from if we do like maybe international <coughs> biennale as other people doing. So we really learn about our neighbors in a way, neighbors in terms of the equator lines. And the next one, as mentioned, we will working with uh, Nigeria. So it will be quite challenging. Also, the first time we also think about Dakar to, to work with Senegal, Senegal. because oh, it's quite also very interesting art scene in Senegal. And then we realize that Indonesian government, actually, they don't have political diplomatic relationship with Senegal. So we have to see uh, all the embassy list from the Africa countries. Uh, and then we found that the Nigeria is the only uh, Nigeria and South Africa that has the embassy in Jakarta. So I, in the end, we decide. Yeah, Africa also farther down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the real Central Africa in the end is Nigeria. So now we start the process to to work with the Nigeria, and we found quite many interesting connection. Like for example, Indomie. You heard Indomie about like in. Indomie is so popular in Nigeria, even they have very popular hip hop singer make a song. It's called, it's called Indomie, I love you. <laughs> so, so then, yeah, that is the, the things that uh, now I'm working on also to help the uh, Biennale to develop. And it's, very, it's been a very challenging process also, for not only for me, but the whole scene, because this is also our first time that we always try to open to the new aesthetic from other places. Yeah, I think that's the, the closing mark. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ten to fifteen minutes, and there really are some experts in this audience on this um, topic. Uh, so don't feel you have to ask a question, but just you can make a comment as well. Come on, there's John, the expert. Yeah, I'm very nervous actually that you are here. <laughs> this is a very, very simple question, and I'd like to know how you're going to get around it. Because you know the big Rada and Saleh exhibition mm -hmm. in Jakarta recently, to which I went, mm -hmm. and, and, and the organizer, Vanna Klaus, said that the real problem was that there was no space in Jakarta to which a European collection would lend. Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is very important because this is an artist with um, paintings all over European collections. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Not major collections, but nevertheless, yeah. which Indonesians would like to see. So how do you think that scenario is going to work out? Because that probably involves other people in this room. Oh, in three years' time, such and such a museum will open. For example, um, could you ever use Dr. Oi's museum for an international exhibition? Or is mm, it in the wrong it's town? It's not yet started, but it can be a possibility. I mean, that's one of the things you could think about, yeah. using a yeah. private museum until mm -hmm. a national museum. But yeah. anyway, yeah. let me ask you yeah. to reply to this issue. Yeah, I think it's always like, if we talk about, uh, let's say, it's a question of infrastructure, mm -hmm. which is quite big thing for the, the Indonesian art scene. It's like, there is no real support from the government. It's not that they don't have money for the arts. Now they have lots of money, <laughs> but they just, uh, 
don't understand how to distribute the subsidy. So actually, the National Gallery where the Raden Saleh uh, exhibition happened, so it was like the first major exhibition by the most important uh, painter, the most important artist in Indonesia after 100 years, right? Actually, this is to, com to celebrate his 100 years, right? So, uh, 100 years of the death or something like that, yeah, right? Of the, the death, yeah. So, I think it's very important the role of the Guta Institute at that time, and they, they can get some of the collection from European, and also they did a lot of improvements in the National Gallery to make that happen. It's like the National Gallery becomes so beautiful and everybody commenting like, oh, we should just keep the National Gallery like this. And because they really bring all the professional people to to change the, the space. They, they brought, I think, five uh, designers from and architects from German just to to put up all these uh, paintings in the exhibition. I think it's now they're doing again in February, there will be big exhibition uh, about only focusing on Diponegoro. So they will collect also most of the important works from Raden Saleh and some other painters about Diponegoro that they really need to borrow from other collection. So it's just, I think the, the exhibition of Raden Saleh actually opening up that kind of possibility for the European institution to, to, to lend their collection. But still, it's, yeah, it's very difficult. Not only about there is no space, but also how do you deal with the insurance, how do you deal with the custom and everything. It's very complicated in Indonesia. And I think even though we moved the exhibition into private museum, maybe we still have the problem with custom and everything and also the maintenance. So I don't know, like in my personal opinion that maybe something happened if Jokowi become the president. <laughs> this, is like, <laughs> this is like everybody's hope because I think he's quite interesting. There is new development now that they changed the old city uh, Kota Tua in Batavia and they renovate the whole area. They use now the post office, the old post office, as one of the main exhibitions. So this is something that I think can be developed in the future. Yeah, they plan to have five all big buildings to be renovated and the whole area in Kota Tua. So uh, I see that the new government in Jakarta, they have this kind of vision. And also many of the things will be changing also in Jogja because now Jogja is recognized as the special region. They have the, the law already about that. And the central government, they put quite big money for this development. So it's, I think the role of Jogja in a way as a center of cultural uh, things in Indonesia will be a bit more developed because it's just doing something in Jakarta is too complicated and too expensive. So many of the most important things then moving to Jogja. But yeah, I think there will be new development with the old city. Anybody else? Come on, Das. Uh, you need to come on, Christine. Surely some comment, something, Julie. <laughs> something from your own experience. Yeah. I take the microphone. Ali, I thought maybe you could just um, talk a little bit more about the very young artists, the new generation, and also the role like the art market has been playing, mm -hmm. especially like in the last 10 to 15 years? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's quite difficult to answer. So like, I'm always confused about the role of the market in Indonesia. Yeah, as we discussed before, the, the, the less support of the lack support from the government to build the infrastructure. I think it's really, now we can see how it is like badly influenced the younger generation of artists. Because the only uh, important determinant points to, to measure or to see how they develop as an artist is the market. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you know if in Australia or in many uh, very established infrastructure, 
like if after you are 30 or 40 the way you think how you develop is really like how many shows in the museum you have or maybe how many biennale you had participate and something like this but in indonesia it's like we don't really have the contemporary museum like or established institution that can be seen as the uh, marking point for our achievement so like the only important point then become market like if how, how much you can sell your works like maybe now indonesian painters can work for more than 100,000 US dollar 150 in retail price price which it never happened before so this also give like a new mental or uh, psychological situation for the younger generation of artists for example what is happening now is quite sad that is uh, the market what what so called as emerging market as For me, sometimes it's just illusion. This is the way how the Western art system look at Indonesia and how they want to penetrate to the Indonesian market. But actually, when you come to the real world, it's not really about market at all. As I mentioned, like the artist has been survived without market and without government for so many years, like maybe 40 years without market and without government. And suddenly it's being seen as Uh, very potential, uh, potential and emerging market, which is quite uh, dangerous. And now the market declines, and all the commercial galleries, they don't do exhibitions anymore. Most of the galleries in Jakarta uh, slow down, and many of them close. Actually, like for example, Fifi Yip. Uh, it, there is there are five galleries that actually quite important during the market boom in Indonesia. So they really support the younger generation of artists. So one of them is Fifi Yip, which is, I remember is really like very experimental, trying to get the artists into the, uh, introduce the new artists to the new market, but now she's closing down and also the gallery, maybe doing exhibition only once a year. So. Slowing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because and also the rent. I think rent, the the higher rent is making things a bit more difficult. Global capital moving to these places, you know, where people are buying properties from emerging major areas where money is being made in huge amounts. I don't know about Indonesia, it's certainly happening in Sydney. We know what real estate costs here. And, uh, you know, it means the local people can't compete with these prices. So it's, it's, it's another area. We've got room for two more questions now. We've time for two more questions. Anybody? No? All right, Jasmine. <laughs> Alia, could you tell us a little bit more about the World Biennale Forum? Mm. Uh, one could be quite cynical about uh, some kind of overarching, dominating gathering of the world biennales. Uh, how do you feel about it? And what do you think that kind of gathering offers curators and artists in our region? Yeah. Uh, I participated in the World Biennial Forum in 2012. Uh, so the forum was actually initiated by the Biennial Foundation. Uh, it's like the organization led by led by Marika Van Hal, and then actually it was happening at the same time with Guangzhou Biennale, where I also uh, participated. So in a way, like my participation most of the time is also because of the Guangzhou Biennale when I worked there, and then at the same time I'm uh, I was working for the Jogja Biennale. So it, for me, it's quite interesting as a new generation who are working in the biennial to see like the large politics of the biennale like they gather almost more than 100 biennales yeah. all around the world yeah worldwide yeah yeah uh, it was 180 but the people who attend this forum is like around 100 biennales yeah so in the end it's interesting that they decide to maybe you know the new development they decide to 
established what so called as International Biennale Association. This is different organization with the Biennial Foundation. So I don't know, let's see. I know that uh, many criticism talking about like what is the role or why all the Biennale, International Biennale, they need to be together. But uh, I think many meetings that I've attended about uh, related to the Biennial Forum is quite useful. Like sometimes we talk about something very practical uh, like for example, how every Biennale have different ways to choose the artistic director, or how the situation with the between the Biennale organization with the city government and the politics about it. So it's kind of bringing many different issues that is before you don't know how you to talk to. I mean, like for example, with the new the the idea of institution and Biennale. Like many Biennale now being organized by museums and how they confuse with the idea of building collection and doing commission for the Biennale. So this is many different, there are many different issues that I think quite still quite important to be discussed together. Yeah. She has a question. Yeah. I just wanted to ask, how many artists do you um, estimate are in Indonesia currently, and um, what's the growth of young people, you know, emerging as artists, um, given the fact that there's not that funding coming from the government, and there's no longer that relationship where it was, you know, like in the past where it was a political tool. How, how do you see them going forward, and and um, what kind of growth projection do you see for it with this current economy? Yeah. Where, the yeah. money isn't as, like, we've got this kind of contraction of the yeah. arts industry. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the last time when we had this uh, Jogja Biennale, when we start to to use the idea of being Equator and talking more about the part of internationalism, they, many criticism also we've got because it reduced the participation of the local artists in the Biennale. So usually maybe you have 100 artists participate in the Biennale, but now only 25. And then they start to make uh, research about it, and they said maybe in Jogja itself there are like 4,000 artists living there, like as a provisional one that was only in Jogja, I don't know. In Bandung, maybe almost uh, the same amount. And then you have in Jakarta and in Bali. So, uh, and many of them facing this new transition transition situation, as you asked, like, I think given the fact that uh, there is no infrastructure by the government, that's why at the same time the, the role of the market become too dominant and this is quite dangerous, but at the same time I can tell there is the nurturing role that is played by the gallery. For example, Nadi Gallery in Jakarta has been working with very established artists like uh, the uh, member of Jendela Group for more than 10 years. And some of the collectors too. Yeah, they yes, become. Yeah, we went when we were on the trade route, we went to a young collector, I've forgotten his Tom, name. Tom, Tom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was very engaged. Yeah, and yeah. He had a warehouse, he didn't live there, but there was, you know, Opening the very young artists. So, I mean, you know, that's what you fall back on in a way. Yeah, uh, but it's quite different way of working here. I think uh, I spend lots of time in Sydney meeting with some patrons mm -hmm. and uh, seeing how the infrastructure is being built here. It's quite different the way philanthropy works working mm -hmm. in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. I mean, Indonesia is still very, like, uh, not so many people really want to put some money or investment in, in the art world, or not investment in sense of the economic, but how they part, they're part of the... So it's always like, rather than being seen as philanthropic activities, it's more like sponsorship, like it's kind of commercial from the company. Mm -hmm. They put the big sign of this is BC Abang, or like from the bank company, or from the telecommunication, so it's more like you know, marketing actually, right? So, yeah, so it's everywhere you have this thing. So the role of the young collectors, as mentioned by Jean, Tom, and there are many others, like uh, we have what's so-called as the circle of young collectors. 
And when I did the Biennale in 2011, they really contribute lots of uh, the financial resource. Like they contribute around 40% of the Biennale, which is, yeah. And then after that, the market is really going down. So in the next Biennale, nobody wants to put money anymore. So it's really declining quite. Uh, and then in terms of like how they now how are they are now moving forward to the issue? I think uh, during the five years of the boom market, many of the issue and the form, the artistic approach, were quite influenced by what the market wants. What the collector wants is really like sometimes they say, "Oh, I don't want to collect something too dark, not to talk about that, or not to talk say they like something pretty." So many of the younger artists they start to make the works like somehow uh, to follow the taste of the collector. But many of them now talking to me and they said, oh, I'm quite bored about this thing and I want to move forward. So I think in a way that the declining of the market is quite important time also for the artist to mm -hmm. think about what they really want to do. So it's kind of blazing in disguise. Now I feel like everybody is really slowing down. Even for example, Eko Nugroho, mm -hmm. he has been like, crazy busy having maybe three or four solo exhibition every year in many different places in all over the world. But now like I came to his studio like a month ago and he said, oh, I have nothing to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really have time to, to think about what he really wants to do again and what he wants to, to talk, like what is the message now? What is the possible uh, movement or the possibility to go beyond what he has been done. So this is now, I feel like, also quite good time for the... Yes, we should. So we